So uh, a few times ago, I preached on, uh, well, I, well, a few times ago, I preached and I started the sermon, or at some point I had an illustration that talked about how I loved Culver's. And someone generously brought me some, some Culver's coupons, which I promptly used. You know what, you know what the coupon it has the $2 for, two for $8, that nice butter burger double, it's really good. Um, and then a time, the time after that that I preached, I talked about how much I loved pumpkin spice. And someone brought me a pumpkin spice um, uh, from Uncle Mike's, pumpkin spice Kringle from Uncle Mike's. Oh, it's so good. So today I'd like to talk about my, my love for luxury guitars <laughs> in, in the hopes that someone will be inspired to do as, as has been done the past two sermons. Any particular, well, if, you know, Gibson, Martin, Taylor, any three would do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> uh, let's, our, our text today comes from Esther chapter 1. It can be found on page 410 in the Red Bibles. As you turn there, uh, just a, a few introductory thoughts and comments here. That, as I mentioned, today's sermon deals with anger. And we live in a culture that offers us many voices uh, on, of advice on what to do when we're angry. So a doctor wrote an article on psychology today that said, Love may make the world go round, but anger is the key. Because when we don't have our needs met, we become disempowered, and anger re-empowers us. It's, it's an interesting thought and theory. However, most of us know that there should be more to healthy anger than empowerment, particularly if you've been on the receiving end of abusive anger. Another article, another wrote in an article, um, another psychologist and doctor, so that I emphasize that anger is essential in terms of our mental health and well-being to give all of our feelings free reign in conscious awareness and experience, whereas in relation to our actions, we must make a rational decision about how to express our emotion. However, anyone who has bitterness that has taken root in their heart, deeply in their heart, to where it creates immovable disdain or dislike for someone knows that there should be more to anger than simply letting it have free reign in our thoughts and in our minds, and it's only our actions that should change. Part of the problem that we just don't have a clear understanding of what healthy versus unhealthy anger looks like. While much of what is said in these articles, it does contain some measures of truth in those articles. But at times, if that's our only truth, it can fog up our lenses uh, to have a clear perspective on this emotion, an emotion that often results in poor decisions. At least in my life, it has resulted in, at times in poor decisions. So while we, don't, while we don't have time to solve this issue today, with, with many voices that speak into what anger is or is not, it's at least worth asking the question, and try, it's worth trying to answer the question, how do I know when anger is unrighteous? How do I know when anger is unrighteous? So we're going to read Esther chapter 1, and we'll go through chapter 2, verse 1, to get further clarity on this. And it's a long passage, so I'm going to speak fast in it, and I know I'm doing that, but uh, so just follow along in the text, and I'll try to make it sound interesting enough where you're not, we don't get lost in it, so... 
Now, in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces, in those days, when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him, while he showed the riches of his glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when those days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars and also couches of gold and silver on mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kind. And the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king and drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion. For while the king... For the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Biztha, Harbana, Bigtha, and Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment, the men who, next to him being Karshina, Shethar, Admetha, Tarshish, Merez, Marsena, and Memukin, the seven princes of Persia and Media who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom, according to, uh, according to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti because she has not performed the command of the king Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs? Then Memukin said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Media who have heard of the queen's behavior will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. If it pleases the king, let a royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed, that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the princes, and they did as Memekin proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household, and speak according to the language of his people. After these things... When the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what, he, and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we ask and pray that you will uh, soften our hearts, Lord, and give us eyes to see the ways that we have been wounded against with it, from anger. And Lord, in the ways that we have caused wounds with anger. Spirit, guide us to be renewed and to be equipped to overcome anger that dwells within our hearts. Help us, God. We pray in your name. Amen. So, how do I know when anger is unrighteous? We begin to see how this question might be answered from the scene in the book that is set in the king's court in Persia. If you look at the text with me in the first nine verses, what do you see? We see the king, Ahasuerus, is throwing a 180-day display of his greatness to his armies and officials. So how great is this king in his own eyes? So much so that it takes 180 days for one to fully comprehend how glorious and great he believes himself to be. We also see at the end of that 180 days a seven-day feast for the entire citadel of Susa, and the feast is surrounded by the most opulent of riches. Picture this. White cotton curtains, violet hangings on purple and silver rods, marble pillars, couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl and precious stones, drinks and golden vessels, the finest wine. Here was a king who in his own heart left no desire unchecked and no desire unthreatened. And notice in verse 8 this specific command. And drinking was according to this edict, there is no compulsion. And it is in this unthreatened, indulgent, and drunken stupor that King Ahasuerus commits an abhorrent action of calling his wife in that all might gaze upon her and enjoy her beauty, to lust after her. The text says she was lovely to look at. Queen Vashti refuses. And it is here we come to the crooks of the text. The queen has refused the king's drunken command. And it raises a challenge to his sinful desire. So what does the king do? The king became enraged. And his anger burned within him. The queen became a barrier to his sinful cravings and was the source of his rage. Tim Keller speaks on this kind of anger when he writes the following. When anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol, something you are actually worshiping. When such a thing is threatened, your anger is absolute. Your anger is actually the way the idol keeps you in its service, in its chains. Your anger is the way that the idol keeps you in its chains and in its service. So how do I know when my anger is unrighteous? What we are seeing from the opening text of Esther is that unrighteous anger will come from idols being threatened. There was a, a youth that I knew a, a while ago uh, who doesn't, doesn't go here or anything like that, uh, but who had a sinful desire threatened. So this, this uh, student loved to play NFL football video games, loved it. And he was only allowed to play a half hour a day. So a while back, this person, this, this, uh, this person got home from school, grabbed a quick snack, and hopped onto their game and 
played until the parent said it was time to get off. He said, okay, I'll, I'll start wrapping up. The parent walks away. Comes back five minutes later, sees he's still playing. Okay, it's, it's really time to hop off now. Okay, I'm, I'm saving. I'm saving the game. Parent walks away, expecting them to follow, and they checks on dinner and for a few minutes. Finally, at this point, the parent decides that it's time to pull the plug, walks in, grabs the remote, and says, okay, you've had enough time, more than enough time. I'm kicking you off right now. Turns off the TV. This is so stupid. Why would you do that? I hate you. Takes a controller and hurls it across the room. Controller breaks. Maybe he had a bad day at school. Maybe he didn't get enough sleep last night. But the reality is, is that his idol, his desire was being threatened. So he got angry. This frightening response is as real today as it was when a hazardous burned with anger against his lust being denied. It's interesting how the Bible is relevant in this way. Anger hasn't changed over the past few thousand years, right? In our country, we're wrestling with how men treat women. Here we have the Bible addressing it. We see here a man misusing a woman. To the women who hear, who may know what this feels like, I'm so very sorry. This is a reversal of a husband laying down his life for you. It's a reversal of what it should be. It's a twisting of that role to have your husband lay down his life for you. To have a loved one's anger burn against you when you refuse to be physically used or abused. Or maybe you didn't meet your spouse's desire just right. When you failed to be their God because you were never meant to be their God. Women and men alike will also have experienced being wounded, whether verbally or physically, because a parent demanded their desire be met, but it would wound you to carry it out. Or to lose a friend because you won't participate in their desire to steal something, smoke something, or meet their physical desires in a way that would be wrong. A boss who grows angry because his goal or vision was not met, and for them, it was an idol being threatened. This is not righteous anger. Righteous anger does not come from a selfish motive, a sinful request, or hurtful behavior. Sadly, however, all of us can also relate to Ahasuerus on some level too, right? We've all felt unjust anger towards our neighbor who wasn't doing anything wrong except maybe driving too slow or too fast for us. We've all wanted something from our significant other to gratify our desires when they were never meant to fulfill our needs in that way. And so we rise up in anger against them. Kids, when you request for something you really want and your parents say, no, not this time. Or they just say, no, not right now. Do you rise up against them in anger? Is an idol being threatened? This is a really hard task that we've actually have set before us. It's really hard. Because what, what the text is asking us to do is to have the discernment to see when someone's anger towards us is, may not be our fault. 
but it's also asking us to see when our anger towards someone else is when an idol of ours is being threatened. Knowing heart, so how do I know when anger is unrighteous? Whether we are angry, we are the, we are the angry ones or the victims of anger, unrighteous anger will often come from idols being threatened. As I mentioned, knowing these heart motives can be difficult. This kind of anger is hard to identify. So how can we see clearly if my anger or others' anger is sourced from an idol being attacked? Let's take one more look at our text. After becoming angry, King Ahasuerus' first response is to turn to his wise men in verse 15. And he asks the following. According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs? The response of the wise men is threefold. First, Queen Vashti has not simply sinned against you, O king, but against the entire kingdom. Do you notice how many times it says the word all? All women will see her actions and rebel against their husbands. So that's their first response. Second, her punishment for this terrible action is so severe that it should be made into a law that Vashti is to never again see the king. And third, anyone better than her should be put on the throne as queen. Wow. That is an, an intense escalation. In, a mar- in, a, in this moment, in a marital dispute that granted was before the court, but still was a marital dispute where Vashti refuses her husband's sinful request, turns into a nationwide issue that the men of the court twist to meet perversely their agenda. And so blown out of proportion is this punishment that is made into a law. And not only this, but her punishment results in the loss of her crown and of her husband. How do we know when anger is unrighteous? Not only when it comes from idolatrous anger, but also when it escalates the issue. I remember the details so crystal clear of this argument that Rondelay and I, my wife and I had in our first year of marriage. Um, so it was, it was eight years ago, we were driving to lead a youth group. I was driving, I remember, you know, I was driving north on 43, about to get off the exit onto, uh, on the University Ave, that long ramp that then goes left and you can go north to, it was, it's that picture perfect. I remember we were about to turn onto the off ramp and we were arguing about something. I don't even remember what. Uh, I'm sure it was something about us communicating poorly, as, which is normal in the first year of marriage, right? But in that moment, in my anger, I said something, and I emphasized it by hitting the steering wheel with my hand, like that. I kind of hit with the palm of my hand there. It was something like, that's not true. Or, I don't know, something like that. And it was, that action, though, was something new to our relationship. Never had I ever, nor had Rondelay ever, expressed anger with a physical display. And it's just not how we expressed ourselves in our marriage. Rondelay, of course, started crying. The argument was over, right? It it had turned into something else. The argument was over, and I ended it by escalating to a physical display of my anger. So I finished pulling off the highway. I pulled into the parking lot called another youth leader and told them to start youth group without us, we were going to be late. I 
I sat silently in, in the car seat, my wife beside me crying, feeling like a fool for having escalated the issue to that level, for having yelled at my wife, for having hit the steering wheel, for feeling so dumb to think that having done that would have caused me to win the argument or bring understanding or whatever it was that I was after. After a short time when she was ready, I apologized. She forgave me. We talked a bit more and then we went to youth group being resolved. My anger in that moment was similar to that of a Hazarus. I soon recognized afterwards that my, very soon after, it didn't take long for me to recognize that my anger was so unrighteous. In my anger, I had escalated the issue. There are lots of ways that you and I can do this, yes? To escalate our anger. We might do it by swearing when it's inappropriate, by reacting physically when it's inappropriate, by raising our voice unnecessarily. What starts as an issue about forgetting to put the knives upside down on the dishwasher escalates into a shouting match about last week's mean comments or being blatantly disrespectful. Are there tendencies in your life to assume an issue is larger than it is out of anger? Is there something that your spouse does that is that is worse than it seems simply because it's your spouse? Do you always assume you're being attacked or accused when someone brings something up to you? Does your child keep making the same small mistake, but your anger perceives it as worthy of the worst punishment? Children, do you believe that you have the worst and most unfair parents to the max simply because they grounded you for a day? We must pause in our life to realize that righteous anger will not escalate the issue. There is a great value here in considering the, the words of James 1, verses 19 through 20. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to anger, excuse me, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then it says this, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Righteous anger is slow. It's not like the anger of man, James says, which escalates in its speedy response. How do I know when anger is unrighteous? When it comes from idols being threatened? When it escalates quickly? Lastly, we look at verses 21 and 22, which tell us that King Ahasuerus, in the end, carries out the advice. He deposes of his wife, Queen Vashti, and makes it a law to never see her again. And all men are to be masters of their own household. The full escalation takes place. And finally, after the dust settles in chapter 2, verse 1 tells us this. After all these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. This is a sad moment. It helps us realize the tragedy all the more of what just happened. What would cause a person to be so consumed in that moment, in one bad decision, that they order never again to see their wife by law that cannot be repealed? 
and that removes her position, status, and role in the kingdom. How is this possible? And why does the text say, Hazarus remembered Vashti? She was there the whole time. The entire last chapter had to do with her and what she was doing. How could he have forgotten her? She's right there. While alcohol certainly was a possible factor, it's interesting that the text actually doesn't say it was because of the alcohol. What does it say? When the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated. Not his drunkenness, his anger. It is then that he remembered Vashti. He acted this way and forgot her because anger had completely blinded Ahasuerus. Anger here not only was escalated, excuse me, anger here not only was caused by his idols, it not only escalated the issue, but the anger had completely blinded Ahasuerus of the very person with whom he dwelt, his wife, of whom, with whom he dealt, excuse me, his wife. It turned an image bearer into an object. It made an image bearer less than human. So how do I know when anger is unrighteous? It blinds us in our decision-making, in our thinking, and with whom we deal. So my favorite superhero movie is Captain America Civil War. And what is, in, what it, in what is the climax of the movie, Iron Man finds out that one of the main characters, Bucky, was the murderer of his parents. So the tension has been building for, this, for the entire movie to this moment. And Iron Man moves to kill Bucky, but Cap, Captain America stands in the way after having said that Bucky's mind was in control of the enemy. He, he didn't know what he was doing. Two of the most powerful superheroes and main characters of the entire superhero industry stand on the brink of turning each other into the villain. What happens next changes all the movies that follow. Finally, Captain America says this. This isn't going to change what happened. To which Iron Man replies, I don't care. He killed my mom. And Iron Man struck out and attacked this beloved character. Just as the Hazarus blindly struck out against Vashti in his anger, Iron Man blindly blew past reason in his. While righteous anger swells in our hearts, it does, righteous anger can swell in our hearts to injustice and wrongdoing, it will never lash out blindly against the wrongdoer. Don't you feel the sadness of this moment with the hazardous? When his anger cooled, his sight was restored, and the text says he remembered Vashti. This is a call of repentance for you and I. To see the wounds that we have left upon the lives around us as we have acted not seeing the lives of those that we have hurt in our anger, being blinded. There's also a call to lament and to mourn as well. You, at one point in time or another, have been Vashti and have been lashed out against in anger. And it may help to know, however, the blinding effects. It could help to know that the anger, the blinding effects that anger has. To know that maybe the person who's angry against you may not hate you as much as it may seem. That they are sinful 
and sadly unable to see how deeply their anger has blinded them or maybe unable to see how deeply their anger has impacted you. This does not excuse their anger, but it might be helpful to know how it informs it. This is a call to all of us, however. We must take difficult steps towards righteous anger that is clear-sighted and acts with wisdom. This will be different for each one of us. But a safe practice to take away might, may look like not making decisions until anger is past, knowing that it could blind you. Proverbs 29 verse 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Wisdom exhorts us to patience in our anger and to not unleash its full desires. We're often unable to see the depths of its destruction in that moment. We're blind to it. And righteous anger will not act blindly. I wish, I wish this text and this sermon could do more for us than I think we may hope it can. We know that unrighteous anger is blind. We know it escalates the issue. We know it will rise to protect our idols. But knowing these things is not, is only, it's only the start of being able to put to death unrighteous anger. There is a God who is telling this story. That same God who sends his son to pay for those angry sins. He died to forgive angry people like you and like me. And his death did more than forgive this unrighteousness in our lives. For those who believe and trust in him, it does more than forgive anger. It frees us from the chains of its slavery because anger is a, it's, it's a slave in our lives. And his death does more than forgive us. It frees us from its slavery and it heals the scars. It can heal the scars that, sinful, that has borne sinful anger against us. Church, if you have faith in Christ, you have been made new. And you are called to live in that newness of life. Actually able to do so now. Strengthened by the Spirit and by His guidance. So pray for this. Pray, that, pray for this. Pray that the same God who tells this story will be the same God to redeem on the cross the very brokenness we feel in this story. He will not abandon us on our own to tear down this sin on our own. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said the following, Do not say, I cannot help having a bad temper. Friend, he goes on to say, Friend, you must help it. Pray to God to help you overcome it. For either you must kill it or it will kill you. Let's pray. God, our Father, it can feel so daunting to face the task that lies before us, but God, you've not left us alone in the battle to fight. We thank you for all the ways that you equip us to help we thank you, Lord, for the very means by which we will be equipped now as we turn to the Lord's table to be strengthened spiritually as we go forth this week to love others and to love you, God. Help us, we pray, by your Spirit.
We love you. We need you. And we thank you. Amen.